Welcome to Five Clubs. Uh, I am Jay Billis of ESPN, and I'm so excited to join Five Clubs for a conversation, a podcast uh, each month about golf, uh, a sport that I'm really passionate about. Uh, I, I have loved golf uh, for my whole adult life, and I don't, I can't even explain how much I enjoy it, even though as, as crappy of a golfer as I am. And what this what this podcast is going to be is just me talking with uh, with other people who share a passion for the game, uh, like I do. Uh, I don't know where these conversations are going to go, uh, but I know we're going to enjoy talking to some great people uh, about one of the greatest games ever invented. It's not golf is not quite basketball, uh, but it's it's pretty damn close, and that shows you how much uh, I appreciate the game. But today we're going to talk with uh, with a friend and a guy I've I've had the opportunity to play with. Uh, a few times, and that's Andy Roddick, uh, the great tennis champion. Uh, he won the 2003 uh, U.S. Open. Uh, he's a five-time Grand Slam finalist and a member of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And I can tell you from experience, you're not going to find a better guy than Andy Roddick. Uh, I met him through golf. We are actually members of uh, at a couple of the same clubs. And uh, after having played golf with him a few times, I was I just marveled one at how he hits a golf ball because he mashes it. And, uh, and you can see some of the tennis uh, in his golf, but you can also see he's got amazing hands that no, no matter what happens in the backswing or after he makes contact, you know, at, at the point of contact uh, with the golf ball, it is impeccable, uh, just, just crazy good. And the other part is just how much fun he is to be around and what a normal guy he is. For a guy with extraordinary ability, uh, to to fit in with uh, with all of us normal folk as well as he does, you, you would never know who Andy Roddick was if you didn't already know who Andy Roddick was, and that that's to me that's pretty cool. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation with the great Andy Roddick. Andy, thank you for joining us on this uh, Five Clubs conversation. And I've had a chance to, to play golf with you a couple times and get to know you a little bit. And you seem to, you seem to love golf uh, as much as I do. When, when, did, you, uh, when did you start playing? Um, in, in earnest, uh, Jay, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Um, it, it probably in earnest, maybe a year before I retired from tennis. So it was probably like 2011. Um, but then it was, it was maybe a little bit before, but, um, but it, I didn't, it's not something I kind of played my whole life or anything. Um, but, uh, I, I played a little bit, but I would go on tour. So I wouldn't play for three months. I'd come home and play for a couple of days. And then when I stopped playing, I was a good, uh, for, for two years, I was probably a good five day a week guy. Like it was, it was an obsession. And I actually, uh, had time for the first time in a long time. And so uh, got got hooked, and um, I just love it. I mean, I, I think I honestly think it made me leaving uh, the sport a lot easier, um, especially from kind of the the social side. It, it filled a lot of that the void of of, of the locker room and, and being around the guys, and you kind of just uh, find a, a different hobby and some different guys to to to, to play with. So I think it was uh, it provided a little bit of a, a soft landing for me out of out of out of tennis. So when you were growing up, did any of your your family or or close friends play golf at all? 
No, I, I remember my brother would play a, a little bit and there's like a dinky par three that we'd go to like sometimes I might have played like probably six times when I was a kid, but um, not really my my uh, my brother who was older than me by six years was a, was a tennis player also played at Georgia. Um, and so I was kind of always around that. So it was pretty, pretty tennis dominant. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've certainly tried to make up for, for, for lost time. <laughs> Your family seems like it was tennis dominant, as you, as you put it. Was that a country club tennis or was it club? T- how, how did that work? No, it was, um, I, I guess it was, it wasn't really country club tennis. Um, I remember I took my first lesson at a uh, public tennis facility in Austin, Texas called Caswell Tennis Center, just off the, the UT campus. And um, we brought, belonged to a little little tennis club, but I, I, it, it wasn't a full-blown country club. But I used to go down to Caswell and my mom would, would drop me off in the mornings. Um, and then uh, I would basically be on call for games, right? And so you play someone for five bucks here, 10 bucks there, lunch there. And that was like when I was like eight, nine years old. And so I knew if I could win, win lunch off of someone that I could pocket the lunch money that my parents gave me. And so I would try, the goal every day was to try to double dip. <laughs> <laughs> so did you play other sports growing up or was it just, just tennis? Yeah, no, I played, uh, I, I played uh, baseball. Um, I played a little bit of soccer. Um, we moved to, to Florida when I was 11 um, from Texas. And uh, it was for my brother's tennis because he was on the junior national team and um, kind of at that point had pro aspirations. So once we moved there, um, frankly, it was just easier to go to one place with both of us. So I started playing tennis uh, a lot more seriously and then um, became the top ranked junior in the world uh, in the in the country pretty shortly after that. And then, uh, you know, it was kind of it, it, the, the next kind of six or seven years before I was on the tour it was a little bit of a blur. Um, you know, you're, you're doing six, seven, eight hour days uh, on court. And so it was it was pretty focused from 11 on. But before that, I, I kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything. Where did the focus come from? Were, were you told, hey, you need to you need to do this and really devote yourself to it? Or was it something that you loved and wanted to do yourself? Probably a little bit of both. I, you know, kids are kind of similar to, to adults. We like to do what we're good at a lot, a lot of the times. And, you know, I was, I was really good at, at tennis and I would go and you, you win a tournament. And so therefore, you know, you like it. Um, you know, did I want to, you know, do it six hours a day, every day? Probably not. You know, the, 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 you know you'd rather go like fishing with your buddies. But um, my, my dad, it was, was from a, a military background. So his whole thing was like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you do choose to do something, you should fully commit. And, and so I think it was a little bit there. And, um, you know, I, I'd al- I've always, even when I was a, a pro, I kind of always had this, this insecurity. If, you know, there, there's someone out there, uh, I guess on the pro tour, you know who the people out there are, but I always had this like insecurity that there was some kid in, in France somewhere that was working harder or doing something better. And, and so uh, I, I kind of, I think insecurity drove, drove a lot of it. You know, tennis seems to require uh, a certain level of intensity and concentration that, you know, maybe a lot of other sports don't don't require. Um, and, you know, how intense and concentrated were you a- as a player? And I'm, I'm asking you that with the idea of, of how did that transfer to golf and does it help you or hurt you at times in, in playing golf? Um. I think I was really, it's weird the, the more distance I get from tennis, the, 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 the weirder that I, I can kind of see that it is right. You know, not, not having, like, we just, you know, I'm not sure when this will air, but we just finished watching Rafa win his 21st slam. And 
um, you know, five hours and 40 minutes where you can't talk to another human, right? It's, it, it's very isolating. And it's, it, it's almost like two gladiators going into a ring, you know, minus physical violence, right? Um, but this, you know, to see those guys, you know, watching it now, seeing those guys both dragging through the last two and a half hours, not even fist pumping because they're so exhausted, you know, and that's before we get to kind of mental fatigue. Um, it, it is tennis is a hard sport. It's extremely isolating, and you know, you're, you're, you people are now starting to talk about kind of the the, the mental baggage that 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 might come with it. Um, I, for my, I guess for me, because I was always in it, it just felt normal. Um, and so you kind of suppress a lot of those things and don't really give it too much of a thought. But you know, now looking back, I realize it's not normal for an 18 year old to travel for 45 weeks a year and, and, and kind of be alone without a team. Um, but at the time it was just kind of what you did. What would you do in practice? Like it, it was your coach, were you one that was messing with your swing all the time? Uh, your tennis swing or your tennis mechanics kind of like golfers do, or was, was your coach more a uh, strategic mental, you know, mental coach for you? Um, Different times. So when you're when you're young, you obviously have to be a little bit more technique focused. Um, there was a great coach out of Florida named Rick Macy, whose name is on the the top of a lot of people's minds now because of he was one of the characters in, in King Richard, um, the the story of, of of Venus and Serena and Richard Williams. I was there at the same time as they were, and and for my money, there's not a better technical coach. But instead of being you know saying you you have to be at certain places, you're playing. Everyone was a little bit different, and his big thing was you know. I'm less concerned with how you do it if you can repeat it under pressure, right? Like, you know, it, God, it, thank God no one changed Rafa's swing where he's actually finishing on the opposite side of his body half the time, you know, so it, you could have perfect technique. And if you can't execute it under pressure, it doesn't really matter that it looks pretty. His thing was, let's find something that you can go to and, and kind of deliver time after time, uh, no matter the scoreline. And I think that's lost largely in, in, in golf sometimes. Um, and in tennis, we get so in our own heads that it has to look a certain way, or we're not just happy with the predictable ball flight. We want to be able to hit it the other way too. Um, and so I, I think in both sorts, there's, there's probably a value and simplicity that, that, uh, that, that we get away from sometimes. Well, do you, speaking of that, do you mess with your swing a lot or do you go more by feel? Uh, both. I mess with my swing by feel. And it's like, it's, 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 uh, the problem with me in golf is that I I've never, I've never had a lesson. So when it's fine, I I go by feel a lot. Like it's, you know, if I want to hit a cut, I kind of just, you know, make a cut swing and something feels right. And it kind of happens. And with the draw, but the problem is when it goes sideways, I don't know enough about the sport to actually go through the processes of, of fixing it. You know, in, in tennis, I had the ability to, okay, I could, I was always going to serve big, I could put balls in play and run around for a while, um, at least, you know, kind of using scoreboard pressure to kind of try to get through it. Golf, if it goes sideways, I don't, I don't have the ability to just simply find fairways and play a little bit more conservatively. Um, and I think that's the difference. Just, I, I don't have the, the fixed mechanism in golf. I, I'm surprised that you've never had a lesson. So it's, it, the whole thing's self-taught and, and you brought sort of your knowledge and hands and all that stuff and, and your tennis swing into golf and, I'm a, that's amazing. You've never had any help and you're this good. No, well, I, I'm, I'm only good enough to know that I'm not very good. Um, you know, but I, no, I, I, I think you make adjustments along the way. I think, you know, both of us have had the opportunity to play with some like really good players. And so you, you, you kind of learn by watching, 
right? And, you know, if someone mentions something about a grip, like this looks, you're doing something the wrong way, you kind of take that into consideration, uh, you know, if you if you value the source. So, you, you know, you get tips along the way and people see different things and you see someone go down to the bunker and lean forward on the left leg while cranking it back, you're like, okay, well, that comes out a lot cleaner than mine. Maybe you just try to imitate that. So, you know, I, I think you can learn by watching, but I wasn't one in tennis who was, who could think of five things simultaneously on a backhand side? You know, uh, Jimmy Connors was one of my coaches, and my backhand was horrendous, but it got less horrendous later in my career. He goes, just relax your elbows, have soft elbows before you hit a backhand. And that fixed like six other problems, right? I think the greatest coaches can have you focus on one thing, and by virtue of that one thing working, it fixes five other things that you're actually not thinking about. That's interesting about what Jimmy Connors said about relaxing your elbow, because, you know, tension is. Uh, one of my biggest problems playing golf is I get into a pressure situation or I'm not, you know, I hit a bad shot or something like that. And I start taking a death grip on the club. And it, 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 is that an issue in tennis too? Like you get into a pressure situation or, or, um, you know, you start, you start getting tense. Like how, how does that translate to golf? Do you see similarities in, in, in dealing with pressure in, in, in both those sports? A great question. What I'm more interested in is how you overcame that to uh, to have the great accomplishment of, of, of winning the Charlotte Country Club member guest. How did you overcome your demons of of over gripping? Because that was that was one for the ages, Jay. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Andy. I was going to yeah. talk to you about the 2003 U.S. Open, which is a no, nice no, accomplishment. I'm sure you're very proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it really doesn't compare to winning the I mean, you've never won the Charlotte Country Club member member. And I've never played it. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> it would I'll, I'll tell you what though you know so I'm, I'm certainly not comparing playing college basketball playing on on the pro tennis tour and uh, you know playing in grand slam finals but everybody has to process their own kind of pressure and I never felt I, I I've never felt the same amount of pressure in the sport I grew up playing and you know basketball and played most of my adult life uh, early adult life I should say um Golf doesn't compare. Like I've never been as nervous as when I stood up on a tee in a in a real golf tournament, and and you know, like it's almost like fear, and you know, you deal with it and try to play it off. But that that's I've never felt anything like that. What what's the most nervous you've ever been in in sports? Yeah, I so I think what we're getting at is like if like my worst day in tennis wasn't going to be. It would it'd be disappointing and for me, it would be bad, but it's not going to be an embarrassment, right? right. Like, whereas like, I, I, I compare what you're talking about, the, the probably the two most nervous times I've been is uh, I got to throw out a first pitch at Yankee Stadium a while ago. And it's like, you have this thing, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to just fire one in there. And I got out there, Jay, I threw, I threw the ball at 17 miles an hour. <laughs> I completely, completely just wimped out. But also with golf, like, golf's intimidating like the you're standing on the first tee and you want to be well and there's three guys watching you and it's silent and you you top one and they're like oh my god this is gonna last all day like you, your mind can so quickly go to just a negative place but it that's that's just the difference of of kind of at least feeling like you have ownership up to a certain level in something versus feeling like you're renting right <laughs> well you, you uh you know you don't mind competing you don't mind having a wager on the on the match with your friends and but I got a, I've got a question that I don't know if you've been asked this before. Would you rather play poorly and win the bet or play the best round you've ever played and lose the bet? 
I would rather play great and hand someone that I know well ten dollars. <laughs> I would rather I, I you know I I would rather shoot seventy one and get beat and feel good and have fun and make putts and hit good shots and you know then shoot eighty four and have someone just like vomit beside you all day. Like, <laughs> but that's but that's also like what you say when there's not actual consequence right like the consequence now is us topping one and being like embarrassed and having someone you know talk crap and make fun of us which isn't a real consequence right like it's now in in tennis i would have taken the the crappy day with the win forever you know you know my entire life but you know golf i think there's i i don't treat it the same i don't practice the same um i i actually i don't know that i want to get to the point where you know, I, I try to avoid my personality deficiencies as much as possible in golf. So you kind of have to take a, di a little bit of a different tack, I, I, I think. So I'd, I'd rather lose 10 and play well. You know, I've been I've been really interested. You mentioned Rafa Nadal winning uh, the Australian Open as 21st major and all that. The, 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 the stuff these guys are doing now uh, is really kind of amazing. You know, Federer, uh, Djokovic and, and Nadal. Uh, it, it seemed mind-boggling when I was a kid when Borg won 11 majors. That mm -hmm. that seemed like my you know who's going to do better than that? Sampras and all that stuff. Um, if you but but I was also interested in in Nadal being so uh, forward with talking about golf after the match. Like he says, well, you know, what do you do, Stan? Shave? I play a lot of golf. He seems like he's a diseased golfer. So if you if you took <laughs> diseased, I mean, golfer. isn't it crazy? Like I'm a diseased golfer. I I, yeah. I, I would play every day if if I could. Yeah. I would you know I would leave. I'm at, I'm at a basketball game. I got a basketball game tonight. I would leave the game at halftime if they would let me hit balls. For a while. <laughs> uh, so if you took um, the if you took like Nadal, Federer, you na name another tennis player. Um, who would you want to play? Who would you want to play golf with among the tennis players that you've competed with and against that play? Uh, so Rafa is is like an effective golfer. I haven't played with him, but his swing looks like super weird. It looks exactly like uh, the way he hits a backhand, which is you know you don't want your club that low. But he's he's like a scratch or a two, and that normally doesn't happen before someone retires. So you got to think he's gonna. But I, I think it was last year he had finished or won something. And then all of a sudden he was playing like a, like a, like a qualifier event, like two days later at like a, a Muni in Spain or something. So I, I would love to play uh, with Rafa. I had this kind of idea in the back of my head that when, once everything's said and done, uh, Andy Murray is great value. Um, he hasn't played a ton of golf, but you see a swing and it's just something I would do terrible things for. Um, Roger doesn't play much. Uh, Jim Courier is a great golfer. And and one of my one of my close close friends, um, Marty Fish is the probably the best golfer. You know his play his swing looks like a pro. He hits it as well as a pro. If he made as many six footers as a pro, um, you know he 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 might even be playing for paychecks. Um, it seems to translate. I, I hear Tim Henman, the old British player, is like a phenomenal golfer. Um, I'm trying to think. I wouldn't play with McEnroe. He's too unpredictable. He like. <laughs> Um, but but it, it, it's cool. It seems like the natural transition uh, is to from tennis. There seems to be a, a lot of guys who can kind of get to a, a low single pretty quickly after their careers are done. Do you uh, do you like smack talk on the golf course, talking it and listening to it? I, I like it when it's done well and like not in a super obvious way. 
I think is the, uh, I think of, I think of a friend, Sam Reeve, he's the best trash talker ever. And he never actually says it. So more than one or two people can hear it. Like the yelling <laughs> trash talk to me is, is fine. The less obvious jabs are, are, are kind of like my favorite. So you've had some, since uh, retiring from tennis, you know, you've devoted a fair amount of your time to your family, obviously, but you've also gotten into some, some interesting business ventures. And, you know, one of the, one of the all-time dreams I would have is uh, is having an interest in my own golf course, and you've got that uh, with Sweetens Cove in, in Tennessee. How did how did that come about? And uh, and and tell us about the the whole venture with Sweetens Cove. Yeah, um, the story's not going to make us sound very smart. Um, I, I have a a business partner named Mark Rivers, who uh, his history is in kind of uh, on on the development side, um, but really creative, can kind of see things that aren't real obvious, is a, is a great marketer. And uh, we would have these things where we basically take, you know, field, we'd call them field trips where we just, you know, talk shop, what, what crazy ideas. And we'd probably get together every couple of months. And he kept going back to this nine hole golf course. And, and I said, where is it? And he goes, it's South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. I'm like, it's nine holes. He's like, yeah. I was like, does it have a bathroom? He's like, no. Um, I'm like, what, what is that? Is that, is that the, is that the big idea? Is that what we're doing? We're not, are we in the nine hole, you know, public golf business? And he goes, I'm just telling you, you got to see it. So we go out there and it's just golf in its purest form, but, um, you know, dirt parking lot, pull up to the first tee, there's a trailer involved. And, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, I, I, I get it. It's awesome. But is this, is this what we want to do? Um, and, and Rob Collins designed it and it's just, you know, I, I don't know that you get that level of architecture for that price anywhere in the country. Um, you know, and there were some things that needed to be fixed. And, in, 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 you know, the, I guess from the, the accounting side, that seemed pretty straightforward. Um, but when we're, we started to play it, it was there was this really cool thing where on the first tee, you know, everyone would kind of have a bottle of, of, of whiskey bourbon and, you know, you would you would take a shot and then leave your bottle for whoever came behind. And then at the end of the day, everyone gathered around this and kind of shared. And it was, you know, this really cool thing of, uh, you know, kind of fellowship. And I said, well, you know, and Mark was like, maybe that's the idea. Maybe we're dumb enough to get into a business that we know nothing about. And I said, well, I've, I've been, I've done dumber things. Um, so we, we kind of call around start put together um, uh, a team of which, you know, some of the people. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we kind of reached out to, to Peyton Manning. We figure if you're going to do something in Tennessee, um, you know, he had spent a bunch of time in Chattanooga and still had a place there. And he, it was like a simple, he goes, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, really? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'd love to be involved. And so that's probably the day where it became, uh, more real. Um, and so you fast forward, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a pretty fun process. Um, you know, we're two and a half years in, in eight States Esquire, uh, recently named us the, the number one celebrity booze brand. Um, you, you know, so it's, uh, it's been a really fun venture, but you know, we, we, we've, we've gone slowly. We wanted to make sure we got it right. Um, it, it all kind of came together when we were able to get uh, Mary and Eve's on board, who's our, our blender. And so she's the only person in the, or only female in the history of Kentucky that has been designated with the status of master blender. Um, and coincidentally, she grew up up the road from Sweetens Cove, uh, where the golf course is. So um, the golf course was kind of a launching uh, ground for 
uh, this crazy bourbon idea, which 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 should work, um, and we're leasing new. It does work. I mean, and, and it, so it's uh, it's been pretty fun. Um, you know, that's it's it's cool that you can go to you know these these storied golf places that we you know and love, and you can actually order one now. That that was that was that was a cool moment. And it's a really you know not to pump your brand, but it is a really good bourbon. I mean, I've I've had a fair amount of it, probably too much of it, and it's really good. You know, when when you mentioned Peyton Manning. Did you know him before you guys called him or, or was this just a sort of a, uh, an introductor, you know, somebody introduced you and then it was a bit of a cold call. No, I, I mean, it, both. I had known Peyton a while ago. Um, you know, obviously his, his uh, career and, and relevancy far, you know, outlasted mine, for, but you know, we used to kind of come across each other at, at the, at the ESPYs. There was, um, there used to be a, a tennis tour event in Indianapolis in the summer and so for three or four years, we kind of made a habit of going out to dinner during that tournament. Um, but we had largely lost contact for a while. Um, but, you know, one of the one of the great things about golf is is it's like the Kevin Bacon rule. You're you're normally one phone call away from someone who is close to that person. And and so uh, uh, another partner just he just like, you know what, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if he'd be OK with us calling him. And so it kind of happened that, that simply. So we knew each other a while ago, but you know, I don't, I don't know that we had spoken in, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, it, it was, it was a, in a kind of fascinating process where it was like, this will never work, but you know, what's the harm in, in, in asking? And it, it did. And what I've, from what I've heard, he's not just some passive investor. He is totally invested in the project and spends a lot of time uh, involved in it, like like he. Have you met anybody quite as intense in what he does as as Peyton Manning? Yes, but they're as successful in their fields as 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 he has been in in his. Right. So there's a certain type. It's like you meet people, but they 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 have the name gravity in their given fields that that Peyton does. And I don't think it's coincidental. You know, you get you hear the stories where it's like you'll read something. It's like Peyton called my liquor store personally and, and asked if we would carry it. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing on a Tuesday, man? Like, what? You know? but it, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we're, our, our, we're, we have our, you know, weekly and biweekly team calls and, and he's on them. And if things aren't going well, he'll send a text out to, you know, our, our kind of core five or six people and say, guys, unacceptable. We're getting on a call next week. And, you know, at that point, you know, the sheriff's not happy and, you know, so you got to, uh, you got to kind of figure it out, but um, it, it doesn't take long to figure it by watching him and how he kind of navigates his post-career world. Now it's not hard to connect the dots to see what made him successful uh, as a quarterback on top of his physical talent, but just attention to detail, connecting the dots. Is there anything that can be said or done? Who do we need to talk to kind of uh, the, the list of questions to get the result that's that's uh, that's required um, even before you kind of get to the execution part is is pretty fun to watch. Well, you have another thing in common with uh, with Peyton Manning. In addition to being champions, uh, you both hosted Saturday Night Live, <laughs> which uh, uh, had to be uh, an, an unbelievable experience. What, what do you remember from that? I think that was 2003. What do you remember from hosting SNL? Um, it was really nerve wracking. Um, my favorite part of the week was I think it's Tuesday morning, you're in the writer's room and they have to read all of their proposed skits out loud. Right. And so the, and, but some of them are like, it, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, you, you're sitting there and you know, you're like Jimmy Fallon's reading something 
and he'll get like a paragraph in. He's like, this is horrible. And he just throws it over <laughs> his shoulder and the next guy goes or, you know, then one kind of gets laughs and then they pitch in. And it's like, well, th- your, your starting point is great. What if we added this? And, you know, by the end, you're just like crying, laughing. And then it gets down to, you know, they'll have 40 skits and then it gets down to the, like the ones they actually use. The behind the scenes part was, was more fascinating uh, to me. I was just, I was just insanely nervous. And before you, excuse me, before you do the actual show in front of the live audience, you do the full run through, like right before, not the day before, like right before with an hour break, and then you go and do the show, but it's full makeup, wigs, you know, the actual show. And I, I was so bad in the first half hour of the run through show that I had a buddy who was with me kind of hanging out and I got back to the, um, I got back to the dressing room and I was like, Oh my gosh. He goes, I don't know what the last half was like, but the first half was horrendous. He had gone down to the little corner store outside of, uh, outside of Rockefeller there and gotten a six pack. And he goes, you need, you, you need at least two of these before you go back and try to do that monologue again. It can't be any worse. And so, you know, I went in and Peyton's obviously great at that. I, I was less than great at that, but at least I got through and hit my lines. But uh, it was the, the first one was a dumpster fire. So I'm, I'm thankful for Bud Light for getting me through the second one. Who was a musical guest? It was awesome. It was, um, it was actually the first concert I ever saw uh, was, was Dave Matthews. And it was when he had his like solo album. And so uh, I had actually known him a little bit and he had, he had come to, to the tennis. So it was kind of like a, a perfect storm. Um, it, but it was, it was a little weird because like right after the show, the next week, um, we had our year-end championship. So I fly from New York to Houston. I have to play Monday, Monday night. And that was for the number one ranking because there were three guys in contention for the number one ranking that year. It was myself, Roger, and, and Juan Carlos Ferrero. And so it probably wasn't the best thing for me to do to prepare for that tournament. Um, but we, we got there in the end anyways. Sometimes people in entertainment don't pay as much attention to sports as, as we do. Did, they, did you get the sense that everybody knew who you were? I think so, but it was, it was, the, the, it was right after the U.S. Open, and the U.S. Open's played in New York. So, you know, when, when you're there, it's, everyone kind of goes to the tournament. Um, so I, I think so, but it was probably just based on uh, timing. You know, it was, you know, when the U.S. Open, first week of September, and then this was November, so it was still pretty fresh. Um, and then, uh, you know, proximity. I'm, I'm, I'm sure not a lot of major sporting achievements uh, or, or most of them don't occur within like two miles of the actual studio where they do uh, SNL. I'm pretty sure the only reason I got asked is because Lauren Michaels' kid uh, was into tennis at the time. So it was like an, oh, by the way, you are also going to hit with my my son during the week that you're hosting um, a couple oh, of did times. You, did you do that? Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're happy to have you. And uh, I don't know. I'm not. And by the way, I'm still trying to train for the year-end championships at the end while doing eight-hour rehearsal days. Like, oh, maybe spend an hour and a half with, I, I, I regrettably can't remember his son's name, but, it, you know, and you can maybe just throw in an hour and a half with Timmy. I'm like, super. That's awesome. That is <laughs> awesome. Well, Andy, we'll get you out of here with something uh, we call five quick questions. I'll ask you five questions. Whatever answer you got, go ahead. Um, the course you haven't played that uh, yet that you're dying to. Uh, Northern Ireland, I'd love to see County Down. Royal County Down is probably, probably my number one. I haven't played any golf. Uh, I've played very little golf overseas and, and, and none in uh, Britain, so I, I'd like to go there. The last thing you binge-watched on television? 
I just finished Ozark uh, two nights ago. The, the, well, the half of the new season. Oh, so, so you got through half of season four? Yeah, and I guess they're releasing it in two, two deals. So they released the first six or seven episodes, and I guess we now we're waiting for the, for the next release. Oh, thank God you told me that because I was very disappointed with the ending. I, I, I just finished this. <laughs> it felt like a bit <laughs> weird. Yeah, I mean, good God. And then the other, the other one, the other one that I watched that uh, that I'm recommending to you on a on a podcast is The Boys. Have you seen The Boys? No. What is it? It's on Amazon Prime, and it's basically about about super you know these superheroes that are uh, owned by a company, they contract them out, uh, to do, uh, crime fighting. And it is legit. Oh, you, you would like it. That's funny. All right. The golf rule that you would change if you could, uh, if you hit in the fairway and it happens to go into a divot, you should be able to ask your playing partner, uh, if you can move it out of that divot, because you, I don't think you should get penalized for doing what you're actually trying to do. I agree. I think it should be ground under repair and you shouldn't have yeah. to ask anybody. You just do it. Now, now if you hit um, it in the rough and there's a divot, then, you know, anything goes, but in a fair way, I don't think you should, divot should be in play. All right. The, the sporting event, uh, you, not one you've played in, but one you've attended as a spectator that you enjoyed the most. The, the, the best sporting event I've ever been to is, is my wife is, uh, is uh, heavily involved in, in the Special Olympics. And if you wanna be inspired and see sport for what it actually can do for relationships, people, everything else, like seeing sport and having it be entertainment because you like you know, the team that's from your city and it's, you know, you know, there's millions of dollars on the line and it's an event, that's one thing. But um, the Special Olympics, uh, going to the opening ceremony of that was, was probably the best sporting event I've ever been to. You're, you're somewhat of a, a joker, practical joker, um, the best practical joke played on you or that you've played on someone else? This is probably illegal, but um, here we are. I put, um, <clears throat> woke up real early in a, a friend of mine's house. He had played a practical joke on me. I put a uh, caution tape around the outside of his property and actually spray painted bodies into his lawn um, <laughs> one time. Um, <laughs> And then it was, like right, it was right as the sun was coming up. So you, you, you figure people like, you know, the early morning walk and all that. You just kind of figured you'd fire up the rumor mill early. All right. I, I, I lied. It's six questions. Last time you threw a golf club. Uh, I haven't thrown a golf club in a long, long time. Um, I, I think I'm past that. I think I threw, I used to throw golf clubs when I didn't actually play much golf. Right. Like it was like a thing, but I, I, I don't, I don't really throw clubs, you know, maybe drop a putter out of embarrassment or something, but I, I think my days of throwing golf clubs are, are, are over. Did you ever toss a tennis racket when you played? Oh my God. I, I got a, I actually got a call. <laughs> I got a, I got a call from my sponsor. So it's really hard to get a call from your sponsor telling you uh, basically your sponsor passing judgment on the amount of rackets you're breaking when you're like top 10 in the world. That's a hard phone call to get. Uh, I, I was midway through the season and I didn't really, I, I broke them sometimes in matches um, I broke a lot of them in practice and I had gone through like 50 rackets at like the midpoint of, of a season. I think it was like an O2 or O3, um, to get a call from your racket, because rackets like, it, it's probably like basketball shoes. Like Nike doesn't care how many pairs of shoes you order. Like product is the least of their worries at a certain point to get a, a call from your racket manufacturer saying like, Hey, you should probably break less rackets because we're concerned about the amount of product you're using, you know, while you're like, top five in the world was, was a little bit of an embarrassing call. 
Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for joining us on on our Five Clubs platform for this conversation. And and I got to tell you, uh, you know, with all you've accomplished uh, in tennis, outside of tennis, um, the one the one thing that always sticks out to me about about Andy Roddick is if if you didn't know if you didn't know you were all this, you'd never know by hanging out with you because you are as normal a guy in the best possible way that, that I could possibly imagine. So uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I'm not going to pepper you with questions on the golf course next time we play, but, <laughs> but I can't, can't tell you how much we appreciate having you. I appreciate you, Jay. Thanks a lot. Let's play soon. Let's do that. See you, brother. Bye-bye. Well, we want to again thank Andy Roddick for joining us on this Five Clubs conversation, and we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll join us next time on Five Clubs when we meet again. Mm -hmm.